Welcome to Tough on Art, the podcast for artists interested in ways to get ahead in today's art market. I'm Jen Tuff, owner of Jen Tuff Gallery and the Artist Alliance community. Join me for some down-to-earth talk about the best ways for artists to navigate this new and different landscape. Artists Diane Williams and Chuck Potter are partners in life as well as in their art business, which is teaching other artists online and in their Northern California studio. They are two of the hardest working artists that I know and have been through it all, kids, full-time jobs, teaching workshops, yet still kept their art practices alive and evolving for decades. Both Diane and Chuck's work addresses nature and spirituality. They both use unusual materials such as rust and plaster, and they both emphasize the emotional process of creating in each of their practices. This conversation took place pre-COVID in their large loft in Benicia, California. I hope you enjoy it. When I was five years old, I painted a duck in kindergarten, and the teacher thought it was the best duck in the world, and I just believed it. And, you know, if, if she had told me I was the best mathematician in the world, I would have believed it. So I stuck with that my entire life. Um, I did a bachelor's degree in art, um, and then... Uh, Many, many years later, I went back for my master's and then an MFA in art. So I have had a lot of art education. I was fortunate enough to get this huge studio about 26 years ago. So it's enabled me to paint with a community um, for a long, long time and to do very large work. So do you think being in an artist community has been really beneficial to your art career? Absolutely. I would not stand working in isolation. We're in isolation when we make our art, when we come into the studio and close the door. But there's so much interaction with other artists. And through the years in a community like this, seeing people having the opportunity to grow with their art and watch the possibilities of how people can thrive when they're given a a proper and an affordable environment. So, you know, we've been very, very lucky. Mm -hmm. I um, went to graduate school for so many years, and that is a community in itself. But when you leave school, I found myself alone and isolated. And... um, it just it didn't have the same excitement as when I could share with people. When I found this studio here, we would all come together and talk. And the, uh, we have a table in the kitchen area, and we called it the art table. And at that table, you weren't allowed to talk about anything except art. And now I've gotten to the point I always talk about art. It's everything to me. And I hate it when I'm in a situation where people want to talk about renovating the kitchen or something because I'm really not that interested. Mm -hmm. So has it been beneficial in other ways, like um, learning about, um, you know, opportunities or something like that? Of course. So one of our members in the community uh, created a email list years and years ago and um, we were able to always see when studios would come up for rent when artists were offering services when show opportunities were presenting themselves Um, and back in the day we would just read um, art week Mm 
and look in the back to see what shows to apply to. And um, we would all talk about it in the community. And um, so we kept each other posted on what was available. And um, of course, that's just grown stronger and stronger throughout the years. Chuck, do you want to talk about your, your background in art and what, what brought you to it? Sure. Uh, well, actually, Diane was my mentor. Um, we met 25 years ago. A little longer, uh, yeah. And uh, I, was, I, was, I had been off on a divorce, and I was living with a friend of mine who was a, a doctor at Kaiser Hospital, and, and he got invited to this art auction, who was, you know, Diane. So we came. And, you know, we spent the whole day in Benicia and we were looking at art and we had been looking at art, which was kind of funny, out in San Francisco, the first uh, Monet exhibit I had gotten tickets to. And so I said, hey, let's go check that out. So we went out there and we've been friends since we were kids, like nine years old. So a real long term friendship. And uh, and I was living with him then at the time. And so we were popping around, going, looking at galleries and going to museums and really checking things out. Coincidentally, you know, we get invited to this art auction, which is about this time of year. You know, it's coming up very soon here next month, September. And so we came out and I saw Diane's work and just fell in love with it. I didn't know it was her work, though. I had gone through the whole gallery because they didn't have a label, I think, on hers for whatever reason where it was or a couple had mishaps. So, you know, I went and inquired who it was. And they said, oh, that's Diane Williams. I said, hey, Bill, um, this is Diane, the person that's invited us. Well, she wasn't there. And we were thinking, oh, she's going to be a no-show or something. And then she came in late and she just waltzed in, you know, red hair and blue eyes. And I thought, well, <laughs> that caught my attention. And she could paint, and it was great. And then she invited us over here afterwards. So there were several people from Kaiser, other people that she knew, and we're all sitting in at the art table. And we sat here for hours talking about art and, you know, this whole community and, you know, the studio. And, and then, you know, I, I think the chop saw, seeing that she could handle tools, really got me excited. And that's kind of how it all... So I left a business card, you know, here. And six months went by. And there's another story, a kind of a French comb story about a piece of work that I couldn't afford. And when she traded anyway to someone else and... I couldn't have bought it if I wanted to. And that piece, that fused glass of Scott Zooms is over there. And so I was too embarrassed to call her back, but she faxed me an invite to a Blues Jams concert. So it's before March. cell phones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she found my business card when she was cleaning up. And so we came and had our date. And then it just it went off from there. It was really great. And then she introduced me to art. She had a canvas up in candles that one night I came home after work. And, she says, well, she says, do you want to do a piece of, yeah. So she got me hooked, you know. And then we went back to school together when she was doing her master's. I did all my undergrad over at Sac State. And then when she finished her master's, I kind of skipped that program. And just We just went right to the MFAs. Mm -hmm. and we did that together. Mm -hmm. Raising kids, working yeah. full-time jobs. So, so you guys just, you know, t tell me, like, take turns, whatever, just naturally, like, talk about raising kids when you're artists in the studio yeah yeah, yeah. we did all this build out because when in the first part when this studio was open it was just wall to wall there's nothing here it was just big open space and she had a couple sawhorses and a big piece of plywood plank the art table and just those cabinets up front so we just slowly but surely started you know building up because that i could do 
And, uh, and then we decided to, to live here. Ultimately, rent went way up where I was living in Livermore and commuting, and things weren't working out. So we said, screw it, why don't we just live in the studio? So, you know, I had done all these improvements and, you know, I went and did a big build out for the thing. And technically that, whether or not that was, you know, legit, I mean, it's zoned for live workspace. So we had the zoning on our side, but they didn't really want us on this side to be in. But no one said anything because we were good tenants and we just made the place look better. So they, they let us get away with it. And you asked a question earlier about community. Mm-hmm. And for me in particular, the community, because I came into this without an education in art, you know, I was all mm-hmm. tax and accounting, and it, it was irreplaceable. Mm-hmm. It was an unbelievable nurturing. I got mentoring left and right from real skilled artists, you know, mm-hmm. that have been doing art for years, mm-hmm. and encouragement and, you know, open arms, and, you know, learned how to hang art at Arts Benicia, and, you know, learned how to do a lot of things, volunteering over there. So it was perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, raising kids in an art studio was a very, was a very unconventional lifestyle for them. And I think that they appreciated that there, there was something different about them, about their living situation and their parents. Um, so they were always exposed to art. They were always able to make art and see us make art. And then they began to make art themselves and they would invite their friends over. They would film little movies here, fun um, projects like that. Um, Both of them were- Graffiti art. Yeah, my son got into graffiti art and um, taught some classes here. And um, it, it was really wonderful. As they became teenagers, I think they began to notice that there was some uh, economic differences in town here in Venetia and um, sort of began to long for the big houses up in Southampton and you know that was that was kind of hard um, because I think that they started to not value um, how precious and special our situation was eventually they come back around but there was a period of time where it's embarrassment, <laughs> embarrassment because we share a bathroom, which is down the loading dock and up the stairs. It's, it's not easy for a kid. They want to have their friends come over and spend the night. And all of a sudden there's no bathroom and that's a little difficult. So um, it is romantic and it's way harder than people imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very cold in the winter. Um, so um, it, it was great. And uh, there was a story I have at one point, my daughter drew a picture. and The teacher called me and said, your daughter drew a picture with breasts. I said, great. Why wouldn't she, you know, if she's exposed to art and, you know, nudes are something that, you know, we, we, we don't hide from the kids. Well, it's inappropriate in school. So I went and I saw the picture she drew. And the funny thing was she made her arms like this on all of her pictures. It was just the way she made arms. Mm -hmm. And the teacher had misinterpreted it anyway. Then there was the vagina picture. 
I don't and remember the, that one. <laughs> we had another complaint that she was painting pornographic, and and the teacher said she's painting vaginas. Well, our daughter, you know, is mixed. You know, she's a Costa Rican father, and she has these gorgeous. You've seen her gorgeous full lips, and her persona always with when she was doing self portrait with these big lips, right? And the teacher thought they were vaginas and we're saying they're lips. <laughs> it's like, you know, they just, so even in this town, even in a town immersed in art, you know, there, there's this kind of stuff going on, you know, and it's, it's, it's just was funny, you know, and crazy. And we'd say, well, you know, those are lips. <laughs> so that's kind of uh, like that helped the community aspect here more. Yeah, in the I mean, arsenal, you want to talk about that? How, like, you know, you had the kids were, you know, kind of out in the real world, quote unquote. And well, we had sev to... several neighborhood brats, right? Or we call art brats, right? Um, Kendall's had their kids, and so you know, there's several, and they're still here, and they're grown up now. Mm -hmm. Lalo and and they all grew up together, and uh, so they they could at least support each other, and they all became friends, which was great, um, but. There, there, they didn't really have a. There was no real cultural stigma with the kids. The kids in town, because uh, we did these wine events with Liberty High School and stuff, and they would come and help out. They were real supportive, and in fact, the kids wanted to come over here and spend the night. You know, our kids were embarrassed because you know we have a, a bucket bathroom. You know, and they, you know, it's kind of community, and you know, it's, and the kids, we don't care. We'll walk down there. It's no big deal. And then, you know, so they went through that period. And once they got over and some of their friends stayed over, they were having a lot more fun. Because then, like I said, they could, you know, if they wanted to shoot video, so one, we didn't care. Shoot, just as long as you kept it down a little bit, we could sleep. You can do whatever you want, you know. And we just turned them loose, you know. And they, they did amazing little things. And they had all these little adventures in here. So I think in, in the end, it, it was great, you know. It just, you know, it's different times. You know, they keep in mind, it started like when they were, six or seven and you know so it went all the way through high school so there's a there's a you know good 15 16 years of growth mm -hmm. that they went through and you know kids just being kids what they go through even in the nicest homes even you know whatever or whatever living so you know, they're going to go through their adolescent stuff and they're going to be always looking around to see how they stack up to everybody else but i think what i i, I kind of liked was I think especially, and I think we we're lucky those years, because they're, you know, their youngest is 28 and um, the oldest is close to 40 now. Um, during certain times of those years, the kids were real accepting and real loving and caring and real supportive. And other times, you know, it, as some years went by, it changed and it got a little more polarized. I don't even know what the situation is now. What, how, did, how is your actual art making? How did that work? with the kids around, how did you guys manage that? Was that like, did that work well? I mean, just, you know, cause there's so many artists who have kids and it's, it's not talked about a lot, you know, about the actual working process, like the ability to separate mothering or fathering, you know, to. Well, sometimes it is difficult to separate. And sometimes I think I put a little too much importance on the art. And I look back on it and think, man, the kids grow up so fast. And as a young parent, you think you're in it forever. And all of a sudden, they're grown and you realize this was just a, a flash of an eye. 
that they were with me. So um, sometimes I think the art did get in the way of parenting. Um, other times I think it enhanced parenting. Parenting. We were able to go into the elementary schools and teach art and bring art to the other children, and I, I think everyone appreciated that. Um, one of the problems with living in a studio was the materials can be really toxic. So we weren't as concerned with our health when we were younger, because um, I think most young people just believe they're going to live forever. So we were oil painters at first, and there was a lot of fumes in the studio, which probably was not a good thing with the, the kids. And the materials were flammable and toxic. Um, and so uh, at some point, we became aware of what we were doing, and we switched to acrylics and less toxic mediums. Um, like uh, we do a rust solution with vinegar and steel wool, which is non-toxic, but it creates beautiful effects on the paintings. Um, the acrylics weren't putting out a fume. Now it's even gotten to the point with myself that I'm wearing uh, respirator masks when I work with certain materials or if I'm sanding, um, always gloves and talking about the health concerns that artists really have to be aware of and address. So there is some guilt in uh, raising kids in the studio and the way that we went about it. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, you know, you, you became aware of things sooner. And but I think with the timing, how we did it, when, when we first were together, Diane used to work a swing shift. And so, it, but we had a good regiment, you know, because I, I already had three of my own children. So, and I fully domesticated in all aspects, <laughs> cooking and everything. So, you know, we had a regiment and it was really about, you know, putting just a schedule together, getting kids ready to school driving them up to the schools because it's a little further away over here, dropping them off at three different schools because he had an elementary, a middle school, and a high school at some points. And he'd just make a quick loop, you know, and then I'd go to work. And then she'd pick him up around three when she, you know, you know, or before she went to work. And then I would come home and they'd be doing homework and I'd be building stretcher bars in the back, helping, you know, helping them with their homework, putting, you know, getting dinner done. And, you know, at nine o'clock, I had to turn the saws off, you know, and then I would, you know, do dishes on the table. And it was the quiet chores you did then. And you just, you just had to kind of schedule things, you know, and, and it was a regiment. We, I mean, we did relentlessly for years and they just got, grow, they grew up. And uh, I remember when we finally bought a house in Vallejo, I told Diane, it's got to have a dishwasher. That's all I say. I'm not doing any more construction, and it's got to have a dishwasher. <laughs> but that, that's how we kind of did it. And then, of course, she changed her schedule at some point, you know, mm -hmm. and then she had weekends off. But uh, you, just, you just manage, you know, you just kind of come up with the schedule. We're very project-oriented, both of us, so that works out well for us. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we can do a lot of things and we can schedule ourselves, you know, two hours here and three hours there and four hours doing this and shift. And the nice thing about that is, is it allows you to focus when you get into the art. You know, everything becomes a mantra, you know, to kind of get you in that state. 
you know, you're going through your chores, you're grounding yourself, you're, you're really getting present, and then you do your art. So it's not, you know, you learn these techniques after a while. So I think in a lot of ways it, it helped us because when they were gone, you know, all of a sudden you were like floundering a little bit, not getting as disciplined, not really getting as much done as you used to. And we had to kind of re, you know, rearrange our schedules to kind of get more productive again. So you guys are, <clears throat> so many artists that I know, you guys are some of the hardest working artists. Can you guys, can you talk about how you've, you know, you're talking about your regiment, your schedule and stuff like that. I mean, you guys have both always worked full time mm -hmm. and managed to paint, you know, on your off hours. And then on top of it, you know, raising kids. But let's talk about just how you kept creating, because I know of so many women, you know, they stop making when yeah, they have kids they because they can't work have kids da, 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 and do all of it talk about how just just talk about your your work like regimen and how you manage to keep painting through all this i think that we are very regimented and very schedule oriented um and uh we've always gotten up early in the morning yeah we've never watched a lot of tv and um we schedule work time for the art so there are times that are art making times. And <clears throat> after I had my um, children, when I first got this studio, I was living with my parents and I um, had one hour a week that my mom would watch the kids and I could come here and work. And um, one hour a week, every week, you're able to produce some work if you do it faithfully. And that was a crack that began to open up and pretty soon it was two hours a week, a day a week. And um, as long as I stayed true to my schedule, to that regiment, the art would get produced. So you, you, you make a little crack and then it has a way of opening up so that you can do the work. <clears throat> when the kids left, <clears throat> we've decided that every night after work, we have to come to the studio. You're very tired at the end of a work day. <clears throat> Go home and cook. And then we watch Jeopardy. <laughs> Thank God for Alex Trebek. He's just really got me geared up to come to the studio because as soon as the show's over, we jump up and we come to the studio. Once we're here, we're energized and we'll work till 10 o'clock at night. Sometimes 10.30. It's getting later and later all the time. So if, if you work from 7.30 to 10 or, or, or 7.45 to 10.30 every night, you will build up a body of work. And then we have the weekends and we dedicate our weekends to art which isn't only making art, but it's going to art events, openings, um, galleries, museums, and, and that sort of thing. Doing right? workshops. Doing workshops. Yeah. It's, 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 it becomes a, you know, I find stress, it, it's interesting, you know, obviously I do taxes, so I know a little bit about stress, right? And, you know, one thing I've learned over the years with, you know, going through a heavy tax season or something like that and still trying to do the art is uh, this notion of resistance. If we, if, if we don't engage and we complain, 
you wear yourself out because you're talking, you know, if you just engage and say, okay, today's today, and all I got to do today is, you know, go do my thing, and then just like always come here at the studio and do my thing. And if you just get into that, that it's just doing your thing, and it's not, oh, God, I got to work today, and, you know, and, and whatever, um, you're, you find you, you save a lot of energy because you're not fighting yourself. And I think that we help each other in that way, too. Usually, if one of us is complaining, the other one will put that person in check. So we're able to, to keep ourselves motivated. Occasionally, we both get into the complaining mode and stay home and watch TV. Now and then, we stay home and watch TV, and that's good, too. Yeah, burn a day. <laughs> burn a day, yeah. yeah. That's what we call burning a day. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to burn a day, you know, and just you know, chill, because we're getting irritable, you know. <clears throat> this is great. So two other things I want to talk about. One is um, how you feel. You guys are also one of those people that, you know, people that go out and you guys are, you know, you're, you go to every important opening, every important art event, you know, you, 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 you know, you do that. So I want, I, if you guys could, you know, want to, you know, address that a little bit, like how important that is to your career, like that sort of networking, even though I hate that word, but. Mm -hmm. You know, just getting out and talking to other art people and socializing stuff like that. Um, because what you guys do is really impressive in my book. I'm always like, God, Chuck and Diane are like at every single thing. It's it's, it's so, you know, I can't even imagine it. Cause I, I feel you know, like we miss every single thing. Do you, I mean, well, there is all a the lot. conflicts. I mean, it's, but you know, it's, it's funny. I'll, I'll tell you, for example, Diane's got an opening this weekend, right? And, um, and, and then over at the Ark in San Francisco, you know, they're good friends of ours too. Um, they, they're having another opening that we really like to go to every year, they, this four by four show. And we got an invite from, you know, Stephen and Michael who are in the gallery. And, and I responded, Michael said, Oh, we can't go. Damn it. You know, Diane's got an opening and I really want to go to that show. And he says, well, he goes, um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to probably open a preview a couple of, you know, nights before. You know, on a Wednesday, but we teach class Wednesday, so we couldn't do that. I said, what about Thursday? They said, Thursday would be great. So, you know, I was so scheduled and so excited about it that when I scheduled it on my Outlook program at work, I hit the 15th instead of the 20, or it was like a week off. So Diane's coming. Then this just tells you how crazy our schedule is, and this is a real good example of how we do it. So I'm at work, and Diane's going to meet me at work. Then we're going to just go straight to San Francisco. And then we'll come back and pick up my truck and head back home. That's, you know, that's how we do it. Mm -hmm. So just to be on the safe side, I, I messaged Michael and I said, Hey, Michael, I just, Diane and I are about ready to come over there. I just want to make sure you're going to be there. And he goes, uh, Chuck, I'm in Seattle. <laughs> and he <laughs> says, that, he says, I haven't even hung the show yet. It's next week. He says, you're a week off. Oh, and he says, well, thanks for being, you know, really on top of it. <laughs> I and I said, I said, oops, <laughs> I said, yeah. sorry, man. Yeah. So well, this, know, so we decided, you know, and here's, here's a typical, and now poor Diane, it's like 90, 96, a heat wave. It was awful. Yeah. It's like the, one of the it's hottest days. In, in Walnut Creek, it's 106. Yeah. It's even 10 degrees hotter. Yeah. So I dragged her all the way out there because I screwed up. And she looks at me and I'm thinking, I'm going to get it now. You know, you, you know, thanks a lot. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, so I, I said, well, why don't we just go grab some dinner in town here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so make sure I'm get, not going to get in trouble. And so we just went, and, and that's what we burned the night. You know, we decided, hey, you know, 
it's this, why don't we just take it easy, have some dinner, go home, you know, we'll watch a little TV. So you know, talk, talk about um, how like doing this kind of networking and just go showing up at events and stuff like that has been beneficial to you guys over the years because you know, I, I'm always telling artists like, go out, you know, go meet people. It, go it, it is, it's how, very, kind of very important. And there was a time that it was very difficult for me. I went through a period where I would get so nervous that I would forget the names of my friends and people I knew. And I was always afraid, what if I have to introduce two people together and I won't remember their name? And it, it really bothered me. So I would avoid, sometimes I didn't go to my own openings. And that went on for a while. Yeah. Um, at some point, we discovered that we needed to move, we needed to broaden our horizons outside of Benicia. So we started to go into Oakland and San Francisco a lot more. And pretty soon we started meeting people in Oakland and San Francisco who we would see at event after event. And all of a sudden you can say hi to each other, how are you doing? And all of a sudden you have a broader network, which has been great. That network has included a lot of gallerists. Um, so uh, I can remember when I was younger going into galleries, I was very intimidated to go into a gallery, intimidated to talk to the gallerist. And at this point, we know so many gallerists. It's like, hey, what's going on? How's your son? What's happening? And They're just like artist friends, you know. I mean, they're, I mean... Yeah, because when we went back 20 years ago, we, we spent a lot of time going to museums, right? We did a lot of museum. You know, we were always checking things out at the museum. Yeah. So we stayed in touch with, with what was going on. We'd go to our friends' shows. Yeah. But that's about all we could handle when we had the kids and all that. I mean, we were, I mean, there just was only so many hours in a day, and you couldn't leave them at night. Like, now we can do whatever, you know. But then, you know, they were younger. You had to, you know, you're a parent. You, you know what that is. There certainly was a time when I had the romantic vision that I'm going to stay in the studio and do my work and the work will speak for itself and people are going to come and knock on the door and say, we want you. And they never knocked on that door. <laughs> um, so we actually took workshops to learn a little bit about marketing the artwork, how to get yourself out. Now we've got social media, which we didn't when we started, and a lot of things have changed for artists. Um, it's not so cut and dry that you're going to get a gallery, the gallery's going to represent you, you're going to do the work, they're going to do the marketing. No, we have to market ourselves and be creative about how we're going to get the work out there. Um, and it's not only necessary, but... I began to really enjoy um, going out and seeing the work and meeting other artists and asking them where they're from, what they do, why they do it. It's exciting when an artist gets tuned into your questions because you're not asking them the typical things that they hear from uh, non-artists. And so... All of a sudden, you've got another artist friend. Um, yeah, a good example was we were at Nancy Toomey's uh, over at, you know, at Minnesota Street or Dog Patch, 
And Mark Perlman, we went back to see his work. I was there for another event the weekend before, and I told Dan, I said, you know, this guy's doing some pretty cool stuff. You ought to come and see it. You know, so we went back to see it, and um, and he was going to be there. Nancy had said, hey, well, you know, if you want to meet the artist, we have an opening next weekend, and he'll be there. And and I thought, okay, date night. Um, there's a little restaurant right down there, mm -hmm. and I, wa I want to try it out. And I said, we're going to have a date night, yeah. and we're going to go over and see this thing. Because, you know, you have to come up with a way to drag your butt out of the studio. And so we worked all Multitasking. day. Multitasking. Yeah, so we worked all day, Dates and then we and went, went over there and had a and, and went and had a good time and looked at the work and he was there and we met and we started talking to him you know and we really liked his work and you know got to know him and so we asked a couple of questions and and he kept coming back to us so he had to entertain the crowd but he kept watching us look at his paintings and you know really start tearing them apart like we do and he kept coming back and coming back and coming back and talking to us and and, and I said, you know, we really, and you know, we like to buy art just as much as I like to make it. And I said, really love that piece over there. And I said, but you know, we're a little overextended right now. We've got workshops going on and other workshops that we're going to be doing one in Idaho soon, a workshop combination show from, with Sharon. Um, so I have to get some stuff ready for that. And you have to plan, you know, months in advance. And he goes, well, I've got smaller work. We don't have the size in the house that we live for really large work um not either. anymore we generally, <laughs> we we generally collect you know a, a, a smaller size that we kind of zero in on so we talked to um uh, the, the gentleman working at the gallery and he said he would email us images of the smaller work which he did and of course we found something that we loved and of course we're able to make payment arrangements which i always tell people i've never met a gallery that wouldn't make payment arrangements with you. Um, years ago, when Chuck and I didn't have a nickel between us, we took a van. I had a show down in L.A., and we took a, a van uh, down to L.A. We were eating tuna fish on the way down. That's what our budget and was. Staying with friends. Staying with friends. Oh God, we had good and friends we went there. to Bergamont Station in Santa Monica, and we went to a gallery and saw Nathan Oliveira, that we fell in love with didn't have a nickel and we had to have the painting. So we talked to the gallerist, we made payment arrangements, we paid the painting off and now we have a Nathan Oliveira. But I find that art collecting is an addiction and um, <laughs> yeah, we just, uh, because we have similar taste and we like the same artwork, it's never a question of, should we get this? We both look at each other. We both want it, and we'll make it work one way or the other. So that's the other thing, I think, going going out. You really start to see a lot of work. You really start to network. Mm -hmm. We're talking about networking. Because it, it's about visibility. It's about um, getting to know people. And, it, and, I, and I always say, that, you know, it is a gallery, so you could probably appreciate it. If you really want to get to know someone, who has a business and is in a gallery, one way to get attention of the gallerist is to buy something from them. Right. You definitely, because now you're a customer. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not like I expect it. I don't expect anything. And you anything. get invited to special events. Too. Yeah, but mm -hmm. I, and I don't expect anything in return other than, you know, just you know, nice work and stuff like that. But at least it, 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 what it does is it gets, 
you're supporting them, which ultimately supports you. Mm -hmm. So it's a way to invest in the business that you're in, interested in, and it helps another gallerist out. And, and another artist. And another artist. And it's like, I, I can buy properties at work, which you do. Mm -hmm. And they come around and we do partnership buyouts and I can do these things and or I can buy artwork and I try to do a little of both because I'm trying, you know, trying to build, you know, into that. So I really feel that for us, because we do work and, you know, and I like to reinvest back into the business. When you enter into a show and you hear a lot of artists, they complain about shows and, and, and listen, I've entered into nine shows since being here, I've been in three and I've had six rejections, you know, and that's just the way it is. And I could look at those rejections and say, you know, I'm not going to spend my money building my resume anymore in that, you know, I'm going to save my money and buy more art supplies. You're helping a gallery. And I know because I work at Arts Benicia, they make good revenue from that um, when they do an event. You're helping a gallery make some money. You're helping the other artists that are emerging get exposure because it's a blind look. So they're not, they don't have to like know all the right people to get their first exposure. And what did it cost you? 20 or 30 bucks. You get to write it off on your taxes anyway, you know, and you might even get into the show, which just, you know, gets you meeting more people. And if you don't, well, at least someone who was someone looked at your work so, I mean, really, 30 bucks, someone's going to look at my work. Now, they may reject it or that, not because of the quality, but they have some other vision. And I think too many artists, and I fall in the trap myself uh, from time to time, think, especially if you go to the show, you're thinking, it's not that good of a show in my mind. What were they thinking? You know, but they did see your work, and maybe it'll inspire them in some way. I mean, we've got racks and we have an off-site off rack, too, in storage over here. Racks full of paintings that I would love to be out somewhere, mainly because I need the storage to put new paintings in. But also, what, what good are they doing up there? And we're, and we're really starting to ask that question a lot now. What good is it to, I mean, they're lovely work and all this, but they're just sitting in the racks. They're not speaking to anyone. It's like writing books or coming up with wonderful ideas and then putting them in a closet somewhere. So I think we've, we're rethinking this whole idea. So what does it matter if I put some work out into a jury show and it doesn't get, at least someone looked at it and it's better than it's sitting around and it helped some, it helped. So this is this reinvestment back into our community. I love that idea of like, you know, it's like an art ecosystem and how yes. you're just participating in it and, and it benefits everyone and mm -hmm. will come back to you, you know, no matter what. Oh, I yeah. love that word, art ecosystem. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. yeah. Well, you guys are real supporters of that. Mm -hmm. and it's, it's definitely, it's not this like fake, like networking and, you know, like this, you know, that word that everyone throws around mm -hmm. and it sounds so awful, which can you talk a little bit about Diane, about how, um, you said a couple minutes ago that, you know, you, you, there was a period of time where you didn't want to go out because you were afraid that, you know, you'd mess up some, you know, mm -hmm. memory someone's, which I do constantly, or, yeah. <laughs> or like how, what was that turn? What made you, because I hear so many times from artists that like, 
oh, I, you know, they don't like talking to people. They're quiet. They're introverted. You know, oh, I, I'm not that person. I think a lot of artists are quiet and introverted. And I think that's why a lot of us make art because we're able to express ourselves without verbalizing or socializing. Um, so it had gotten so bad for me that um, I read that Jane Goodall had a condition where she couldn't remember people's names. And I thought, oh, it's a condition. I'm the same as Jane Goodall. So, you know, I have an excuse. It's not that bad. Um, I don't know exactly when the turning point came, um, but I did begin to realize that I had to overcome my problem. And um, there were ways to get around forgetting people's names. Um, sometimes just admitting it. Oh, what's your name? I'm sorry, I can't remember your name. And it happens still all the time, but it just doesn't bother me that much because we're still engaging. What I remember about people is their artwork more than their name. And I love getting to know what other people are doing artistically, why they're doing it artistically. Um, when I lived in Jamaica for 10 years, a lot of people didn't read and write, and the music was a, a big part of life. And what would happen is the DJs would sing about a current event, and then another DJ would answer with their opinion about it. And these songs were happening daily, new songs, and we would go to the dance halls. And uh, the DJs would kind of battle with each other, you know, back and forth with different opinions. And they were the living newspapers. And now we have the artists who are the living newspapers. We get the news and artists are responding to it some in literal sense um, and some in a emotional sense or a spiritual sense or um, however we're responding to it, we live in a culture we can't ignore. And as artists, it has to surface in the work somehow. So um, I think that it's exciting to be among the culture, just like it was exciting for me to go out to the dance halls and dance and not worry about people's names, but just be in the moment with the music, with the people. Um, that's how it evolved for me um, with going out to the galleries. It's being in the moment with the people at an event, something that may never take place with those same people again. And um, yeah, we're, we're creating memories with each other about special events that we went to, like Kate Kretz the other day in, in San Francisco. It was such an yeah. event, and we had somewhere else we had to be that night, so we went early, um, and I think we missed a lot of it, but just to say that we were there. And then when people are talking about the event and you know you were a part of it, it's our own little Woodstock, you know, it's a portal that opens. You enter the portal and then it closes. It's not gonna open again. 
and you never know where that portal will be. And I'm pretty good at sensing when something is, is happening. Yeah, I think the, and also too, I think what fed into it were our classes. We incorporated, when we started doing our weekly classes back after our MFA, because we, we, we were both teaching as adjunct professors at like National University. Diane was teaching also at Chabot. Um, we started doing some workshops in the adult center over in Concord. And, we, and classes were full. I mean, it was like, wow, that's, there's a lot of interest here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, we get all the people, and we still do to this day, you know, I've raised my kids, and now they're out, and I want to just yeah. start doing art, and I put it aside for 20 years. And mm -hmm. We hear this all the time, you know. So, we, you know, we started working with people there, and then people, and Benicia said, geez, can you guys do it out of your studio? We want to come all the way off to Concord. And we said, we might as well. I mean, this is our community, and so we did a, we were there about two years, I think, and then we started doing right here out of the studio. We restructured our studio closer to where it is now so we could accommodate the class, and I told Diane, I said, you know, this is nice because there's this momentum, mm -hmm. you know, it's like being in school again, you know, but now we're the instructors, and, and it creates this momentum, so every Wednesday night, and we do this about nine to, about nine months out of the year, and it starts like in March and it ends around Thanksgiving and we have full classes and we just, in fact, we just started our other one this Wednesday. So they're five week sessions, four studio classes at night, 6.30 to 9. And then on the fifth night, and this is the crit, uh, point I'm getting to, we do a potluck critique. So everyone brings food and we all eat in the kitchen and have wine and whatever. And then we go over to the tables and turn on the lights and we everyone presents the work that they did the last four weeks and we start talking and what we're trying to do there and we don't allow any negative commentary that's a rule here ever because that can destroy people you know we're not here to put people through the test and through the trenches we're here to nurture because this isn't an art education thing they signed up to get a degree in this is a support. They're bringing art into their life and some will um, go on to be artists. Others will um, use it to get them through a crisis. Mm -hmm. And who am I to, I don't want to dictate any of that. I just want to, I want to get art in their life and make it do something for them. And that's what our classes are based on. Now, the nice thing about it is, is the critiques give them feedback, it helps beat down the inner critic, which is a thing I talk about. Don't tell me you hate your painting, it's the first night. You don't hate a fetus in your womb. I use that a lot, right? You know, oh, I hate the way that fetus looks right now. <laughs> it's not even born yet, give it some time. <laughs> well, what we, what we try to do is to tune into each person and to help them express what they are wanting or needing to express. We are not the uh, kind of how-to teachers, step one, step two, step three. We'll usually start with a loose idea, a loose theme, turn them loose, and then kind of counsel uh, people individually. The two of us walk around the room constantly, and we will also make art with the students, which is um, interesting because they can see that for us it's also a struggle, and um, they like to see how it's done. Um, so it's, it's a, a great um, 
opportunity for people to be together, especially people who don't have their own studios. All of a sudden, they're working together in a community. Yeah, side by side. So you might have people that's first time they've painted, and then you'll have people that are artists here that are having, uh, they want to loosen up, so they come see us, right? We're kind of like the art therapists in a way. And so we'll, we'll get them in and we put them side by side. And really what feeds, I think, the, the class, and you'll hear many of them say, is they're learning from each other. Mm -hmm. So we've, what we did is we've indoctrinated the, the whole idea of the community in the classroom environment. And sometimes, you know, we're just, we're going around and we're dialoguing but they're going around and they're dialoguing mm -hmm. and they're helping each other out. And, you know, a more skilled person will show someone something else or another one will say, can I borrow a tube of paint or, you know, and they'll say, oh, they have a cupboard up here where we can grab. And they're helping each other out and they're giving feedback to each other now. And that's perfect, mm -hmm. you know, because now in a sense, we're sort of teaching them how to dialogue and how to open up and express themselves, how to work. And now we can just kind of, you know, kind of circle the room and just we get a little bit more intense with them. They, they help each other out and it becomes the momentum of it. We always have full classes. Literally, they're full year round and they're doing all the marketing. They, they want to get together. And, and it's, it's worked out really well for us. It helps support us. It subsidizes our costs, but it also keeps us um, engaged. Mm -hmm. You know, because we're constantly looking at artwork. We're constantly critiquing and helping and looking, which helps us when we look at our artwork together back and forth because it builds skills. And, and sometimes they teach you things. And they, they come up with stuff that's in front of them. How'd you do that? And they go, oh, we did this and that. And you're like, man, I would have never thought of that. But it works, you know. And so that's the other thing. It's this constant feedback and this constant interaction. I think for us as process painters who paint and respond to the marks we make, it's like dialogue and the things you say, we respond to the things you say, but we're all talking about art. And there's this wonderful genesis in a way of idea that just really expands and builds in that creative thing just really moves into something way, way bigger than the art. And that's always in the background. And I think once you see that and you're out there, then it becomes, then it energizes you. You know, we were at a party last night at Stevens, you know, till like midnight and, you know, other artists and, you know, and it, and I was talking to a screenwriter who was there and he's, doing stuff never knew this guy from Adam but it was I said you know what's great about talking with other people doing other things related is this other sensibilities and perspectives that you get there's something interesting we're not entertaining ourselves we are actively involved and engaged in learning and I think that's what I like you know I, I'm done with the varsity <laughs> Done with the disco dance. Yeah, yeah. Once in a while, it's fun, you know. But you know, it's just nice to go to a situation where you're talking to people who are energized and what they're doing, mm -hmm. and they're excited about what they're doing, and that's so positive. 
instead of the negative that we're you know fighting constantly. And you know, social media is interesting too because <clears throat> we know what we are each doing because people are posting what they're doing. Yeah. And when you see people in person, they always say, oh, it's so nice to really see you and, and talk about, you know, a little deeper what it is you're, you're doing. But to already be visible to each other and know, oh, Carrington just got into this show and she's uh, sanding her painting. And, you know, that's a, a way that you can have a conversation with someone. I see you were sanding your panel the other day. I hope you were wearing a respirator mask. And, you know, one thing leads to another. And then she'd tell you about what happened to the painting and how she turned it around. And it's, it's great. And I think that probably that is also one of the things that got me over my fear was social media and reinforcing who people are because you see them time and time again um, on Instagram and, um, oh, yes, I know you. You're, um, you're doing this piece. You're doing that piece. So you can put a, a, a face to the painting. And it's, it's really wonderful. It's quite or, wonderful. Or gallery people who have opened up new galleries. And, yes. You know, and you can congratulate them and how's that going? And, oh, yeah, my opening's this. You guys got to come. And, yep. You know, and, and, and so it's, it, again, it's, it's just that um, like it's a community. It, what it has done, I think, is what we had here and the benefit of what we had here, and it was really a great benefit, now becomes accessible. The whole idea... I kept saying is it has to be accessible to everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, when they, I remember Arts Venetia was originally starting out, they were charging classes like 245 bucks. Well, I mean, I understood the value of that, but people out here in the neighborhood, you know, that's, they don't, I mean, they, to, for them to even spend 245 on a on an original painting was a leap, you know? And I mean, we've literally had students come in here and say, well, I want to learn how to do painting because I can't afford to do a painting and I'm going to do my own painting and, yeah. and I've got, I need something over my fireplace. It's like, well, whatever, you know, glad to have you. But that person now has come back. We've hooked her. That's no longer in her conversation. Can you know, I she's it, now she's into something deeper and she sees it and she's after it now. <laughs> so, can you guys talk about what students will gain from taking workshops from you? Can you talk about the experience that they're going to have and what benefits they're going to draw from, whether it's an in-person workshop or the, or the video or whatever? God, you know, the first thing I'd like to say is they're going to, they're, they're going to be connected. They're going to be connected to people that are going through the same sort of struggles in life, and they're going to gain tools with doing the art that's going to help them process the stuff that they're going through. You know, when there's depression, all this kind of these things that people go through when they're overwhelmed and everything, the art, there's something about doing something instead of sitting around and being a victim. You get up and you do something. Plus they're with other people. I think that they learn that they, every so-called mistake they make can lead to an opportunity. And, you know, you can equate what you learn doing a painting to what you do in your everyday life. So I think that they can quickly see that there is a connection between art and life. Um, 
stretching their themselves, being able to put themselves on the edge of abstraction, we don't have a point of reference. So how do I know where to make the next move? Doesn't matter, make a move and then respond to it, see what happens. And the joy of seeing someone who's never done art before to create a beautiful painting, and they often do. Beautiful um, things come out of these classes. So they're, they're building confidence, they're understanding the connection between art and life, um, they're seeing the struggle of artists who are far more experienced going through the same questions and the same issues that they're going through and tackling those questions and issues together. Um, it is a wonderful sense of community, of togetherness. Um, it seems like the theme of our talk today really has been about community. And I, I can't stress enough the importance of, of the community. You know, too, one of the things that we often talk about is, you know, we'll get people in and you can see I mean, especially Diana, are pretty sensitive to the, the pain in their face. They have this, this perceptive look. And it's really funny how the pain and the inner critic, you know, are so revealing. So we listen, and our job is to, you know, basically tell the inner critic to shut the hell up. You know, because that's the, the biggest obstacle most people have is themselves. And the idea is to kind of nurture them to a point where they can get back into nurturing themselves and allowing and allowing I think a real important thing is others to nurture them you know it's one thing to you know some people say I don't want any help you know they get you know I don't want any help mm -hmm. and but someone was saying to us the other night now I'm not afraid to ask for help God I thought that was really interesting I thought God that's something I heard it I didn't even know who said it was in our class the other mm -hmm. night, and I heard it. I think I was over there helping someone, and I heard it across. And I thought, man, it just it, it just like burned an image in my brain, you know. I said that is so wonderful, my God, you know. Now I now I know how to ask for help, and then I start thinking all these people with suicide prevention and stuff who don't know how to ask for help, you know. And I started thinking we've got a and Diane, we have even yet to talk about it yet. How, how do we get that, you know, we've really got to get that focus in there, you know, because we'll tell them, you know, life is like building a painting. Build your life, okay, like you would do a painting, you know. Don't worry about mistakes. Worry about not being engaged. Worry about not doing something. That's what you've got to worry about. You know, studio practice is just get in the studio. Mm -hmm. The rest will take care of itself. And I tell people sometimes, you know, they'll say this, this, and they'll talk about how hard work. And I said, you know, it all doesn't matter because y'all did the right thing. You're here now. That's all that matters. You're here now. So let's go do something. And that's the tricky part. And that's the accessibility part. Bringing the cost down was another big thing. You know, we, we brought it down to a very reasonable, affordable level, you know, and, and, it, and it's just... Now what we see, the funny thing is that we have students now that are entering the, entering the same jury shows we're in. We're not getting in and they're getting in. 
So that's funny, you know. So, but that's great. And they're getting their own studios one by one. They're, they're picking up their own studios now. They're, they're involved with Arts Benicia. And they're connected. And then sometimes they'll kind of go away for a while. I won't see them. Then they'll drift back in. Mm-hmm. And they drift back in. And when they drift back in, they're saying, well, you know, I just I, I missed having the class. But now they're more experienced. And they'll sit right alongside someone who's hardly done anything. And they'll be right back into it again. And I think, yeah, I think it's be, yeah. Now it's it's a way of life for us. It's we understand the calling for us. I guess it's you know kind of what we've customized for ourselves. Some other artists are doing other things. We can't do everything. You know, yeah, I think nice. that you also get to the point that you realize you can't do everything. Art can do a lot for the community. I was uh, seeing a show on PBS the other day about how someone brought art into the justice system and they were able to work with the courts to offer um, art classes to young people who had committed petty crimes um, to get their sentences reduced. They would have to enroll in an art class or a drama class. And then listening to what the people who were taking the classes were saying about how it helped them, how it helped their life, how it turned them around. These are wonderful programs. Um, there's an um, opportunity I recently had to um, work with the hospital community about bringing healing art into hospitals. I had looked into that years and years ago because I've worked for hospitals for years, but my calling isn't really about bringing art into hospitals. I certainly hope someone does. So I took that opportunity and I I gave it to another artist friend of ours who I thought would do great with that opportunity. For me, I want to concentrate on my own art making process. I want to concentrate on teaching workshops. So I've had to really narrow my own focus and know what it is that I want. And it is hard to define what you want. People will come into class. Many people do not want to show their work. They come in because they want to enrich their lives. They want to do something they always wanted to do, or they want a painting over their fireplace, whatever their reason. And I can work with them. I can meet them on their level what they need. Whereas other people want to begin to show their work and I can counsel them and help them to begin to apply for juried shows and to understand how you need to uh, present your paintings in a professional manner, how to finish a painting off, how to make it gallery ready, how to, um, how to apply to a show. Um, we also open up our studio to uh, other artists teaching workshops like Stephen Wagner will come in and, and teach about how to uh, a, approach a jury show or how to create a website or, you know, whatever it is. So there are resources that we're able to offer because we have a large studio and we can open it up for those kind of opportunities for other artists. Yeah, we designed it to, to really work that way. That's why we redid what we did here so we could, it, it shifts back and forth really effortlessly. We're really, it's like it took us 25 years to figure out a design yeah. that works and, and that's really worked out well. So let's wrap up by talking about, because this is great. This is great. I love what you guys are saying. And if there's something else, after we talk about this next thing, if there's something else you guys want to add and you want to make sure it gets on, let me know. 
But if you guys could address directly the people who, these people who, because I found, and you've probably found this too, a lot of people coming to your workshops, you address this, or are, you know, returning to art, Mm -hmm. Or they finally have the time to investigate mm -hmm. this. A lot of women who are returning. Exactly. To, yeah. Can you can you talk to them directly and like this is you know this is why you will benefit. This is you know if you're in this place, like what kind of benefit they're going to have. Just just talk to them directly about about that about the benefits of your class. What they're going to gain from it. What What's so interesting to me, I would say. 85, maybe 90% of the students in the workshops are women who are coming to art as something that they've wanted to do their whole life and they put off because of careers, because of children. Um, the first thing I would say is you're not alone. The second thing I would say is you have lived a very rich life. You, what you've done in all these years that you haven't been making art has been feeding into the art that you will make. And I'm amazed at what people's experience brings to the art that they're making. It's just incredible. And um, they find out um, that, you know, because they were really good at um, business, that they can apply a lot of those principles to their art making, how they <clears throat> operated in the working world, how they operated as a parent. These things aren't separate from art. Life and art, they converge all the time. And all of the sudden, they're able to take their experiences and turn them into um, something tangible that they can see. And um, it, I think it works as a, as a great confidence builder for people. They need a little bit of technical help in how to express what it is they want to express. So we will talk about techniques, simple techniques, from how to mix paint to what kind of brushes to use to apply it, how to prepare your surface. And um, we are not really, really, really technically oriented. We're more oriented in responding to what you see happening. If you need a little help to express something and you want to know how, we can show you, we can give you some idea about how to apply the paint to get the results you need. We never want to see people... Um, uh, illustrating. Um, if that's what they wanted to do, that's fine, but we're more abstract painters. We like to see a more of an expressive situation where they can use their body, put out a mark, and then respond to it. And it's very liberating for people. We do like to teach the um, large, uh, painting large workshops because people are suddenly able to express themselves physically. And it's wonderful to see what mark your body makes if you're putting a big mark out there and not feeling so constricted with the marks that you're making. I think it boils down to a few things. You know, one is permission. Yeah, which is very important. People in our society need permission yes. to do this. They need to justify it. So we give them the permission. Mm -hmm. We say you're permitted. Number two is purpose. 
you know, a lot of empty nesters, so to speak, mm -hmm. be it through career or children or both. Right. Um, in retirement, you know, the purpose, mm -hmm. you know, and they want to feel like there's a purpose, you know, what, what do I do now, you know, type of thing. And I think uh, getting, we're not here to necessarily teach people how to be artists. We're here to teach people how to create. Whatever they do from that point forward can only benefit our society as a whole. You know, they, they may go on to invent and solve, you know, big problems. And maybe it all started with a, a stupid art class, a silly art class. We're just playing with that. You know, to me, it's not stupid or silly, but to a lot of people, you know, it's that silly art class. And I started thinking about this. I remember when um, Jerry McLaughlin did his first two cold workshops in our, in our studio. There, so he had this class and he has this huge draws, you know, from all over the countries and whatnot. So one of the guys in my class was the inventor of those lit up ice cubes that you throw in drinks and they light up. And I guess it's a, a thing. And he and he wanted to do this or that through the workshop. And I just thought, man, that's crazy. You know, this guy's got a successful business, and I guess he's doing great with it. I mean, making money crazy, or you know, over this idea that and 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 now he's taking a, a workshop because he's trying to figure out, well, what could cold wax do for him? And it's that that investigative spirit, mm -hmm. that sense of. I want to learn something, you know, I'm curious. So this notion to how to create, I think when you deal with the inner critic, you deal with how to build a painting, you're working in a void, you're, you don't, this thing, well, I don't know how to draw. And it's like, no, it's not you don't know how to draw, you don't know how to look, you don't know how to see. And we can prove that. We have techniques where we do a two by two square. People can almost photo almost photographic reality replicate. We've been writing our whole lives. The skill is unquestionably there. It's just they don't know how to see. Mm -hmm. You know, once you break something out intangible, they don't know what the reference is and the brain gets out of the way, all it's, the skills are there. They just don't know how to unlock and change a couple of things. And so it's teaching people how to look now. And when you teach them how to, look how to create differently, all of a sudden, they'll, they'll all say, I get so excited. You know, I, I look out in the morning and I'm looking at the sidewalk and there's this little dew on a leaf. Right, they start and, seeing and, and, and they, things in, in life. And I think that's one of the real benefits of having the critique built into the workshops, yes. that they can see that other people interpret work they did very differently than they interpret it and that artwork is open um, artwork is a, a thing that is meaningful to me and it may have a different meaning to you but there is some kind of a universal meaning that is is passed along in the pieces of art and by helping them to see their own work they begin to see other people's work they begin to see other things in life that they may not have looked at before or looked at in very one-dimensionally all of a sudden the possibilities expand and they they, they become multi-dimensional in how they view 
every situation. Yeah, I think that's the real a real kick. You know, um, the our brains are, are geared to dumb everything down to protect us. We're in information overload, and social media is just only adding to that. You know, um, population growth. Uh, when we were in Greece, and I want to get back to Greece in a second, but I was talking to this old man that's in this shop in Scopolis, and and he. he he was talking about this music that he did, this special kind of rebellion music back in the 60s. And I guess Woodstock can bring us back full circle. It was part of that. And it was really interesting. And he was going on because I never heard of any of this, you know. And the music that was playing in the background was him playing, you know, this music. And I, and I said to him, I said, so what do you think has changed? You know, because I'm curious of what, you know, he's been there for 40, 50 years. And what's changed as far as Greece says, and you know what he says? Noise pollution. So I guess, I guess in, in some, some remark, we're, we're trained to not look anymore. We're trained to, you know, just kind of dumb it down. And I think what happens is it gets people's minds where they're not really fertile for imagination to occur. You know, they're, they're just trying to protect themselves more than they are trying to think things through. Mm -hmm. And and really to open up their minds again, really get, get things active, get them excited. Because when, you know, when you see something new, it, it gets people excited and all the creative juices start coming in. And, and I think that's what we want to offer people, you know, is how to get re-engaged at a higher level now. It's like, fine, we're done with all the work and that, whatever you're what's taken so long to get you from point A to B doesn't matter. We're at a different place now and we're going to live differently this time going forward. No matter if we do the art or not, but we're going to take the principles of the art making and we're going to, you know, do that. I think that in one of our instructors, Elaine O'Brien in Sacramento, I remember she said, my father always told me that, you know, if I can just light up a little corner of my world, you know, that's where the magic happens. And I think mm -hmm. we both have taken that to real heart. Absolutely. You, we do a lot of things. We just can't do everything. I'm so glad there's other people out there doing so many great things. It excites me, you know. And all we try to do is just do what we can with our little light in the corner, you know. And the magic, I think it, it really responds. The universe responds to that. And, and the arts is surely big, way bigger, you know. And that, that keeps us going when we're having a bad day. So right. Good. So right. We like to talk about art, that's for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening and supporting this podcast. Your support means everything. If you'd like to learn more about the Artist Alliance community, send me a question or learn about other events or projects coming up, please visit my website at www.gentuff.gallery. See you next time.